just hearing everyone singing those, those songs, man. Those hymns are, are powerful. There's so much truth in them. Man, one day, man, I was ready to just, just run out of here. We could just go home after that, man. I mean, if that doesn't excite you this morning, man, check your, check your pulse. <laughs> check your pulse. But uh, Mark chapter 10, that's where we're going to start this morning. And uh, by the grace of God, we're going to talk about uh, going, going our way. Go thy way. So Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Amen. Dear Lord God, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name which is above every name, the name that every knee will bow, and things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, Lord. And Lord, we need a miracle today, Lord, and that miracle is, Lord, to use me to deliver this message, Lord. I'm nothing, Lord. But Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just use your word. You said it would not return void. You promised that, Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you would just touch the hearts of your people. Lord, do what only you can do, Lord. That's all we need, Father. We don't need another church service. We don't need another message. We don't need another sermon. We don't need another song, Lord. We just need you in the midst of us and everything, Lord, that we do. And Lord, we just thank you. We praise you in the name of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ, the fairest one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Mark chapter 10, it's a powerful account of a blind man that receives sight from the Savior. And the verses I want to focus in on is verse 50, 51 and 52. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. So Jesus in that phrase, go thy way, he's commanding Bartimaeus to do something with what he was given. It's a call to action. It's something that we have to, as Christians, take and do something with. Pastor preached a couple weeks ago about Christ being the way and the faith of Jesus Christ not only saves us but keeps us. Galatians 2.16, I'm not going to preach that message I mean, the thing that Jesus Christ did for us on that cross, and that it's not even our faith that keeps us, it's the faith of the risen Savior. Man, thank the Lord, because my faith on a day-to-day basis, nothing to be compared. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his faith does the rest. And last week, my brother, by grace of God, preached about having that good shepherd and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as we go through this life, the ups and downs, the valleys, the mountains. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 
It says that his divine power has given unto us all things that are pertain unto life and godliness. And knowing these things, things that Bartimaeus didn't know, the believer is faced with a decision. Which way are we going to go? How will you answer the call? There's only two choices. Walk after Jesus Christ or walk anywhere else. If you're saved, you can't walk your way out of salvation, thank God. But the Bible commands us to walk in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 6, as ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The Bible also tells us that if we're going to walk in the way of Christ, that we should walk worthy. Turn to Ephesians, keep your hand in Mark chapter 10, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And by God's grace, we're going to be flipping around today between these verses. You there, say amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner, Paul speaking, of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're to walk worthy of what? Not ourselves. There's nothing that's worthy in you or I that's worth giving a hoot about. There's nothing worthy in in Mark Andino or Stephen Andino or uh, Pastor Pat Mishania. I mean, and I don't speak for those brothers, but I, I know what they would tell you. They would agree with me. That there's nothing worthy in either any of us, anyone who gets up in this pulpit, there's nothing worthy, but that calling in in verse 1, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. That gospel call that Bartimaeus heard on that road almost 2,000 years ago. Now, before everyone who's dispensationally correct and knows what's going on in the Bible, let's, let's go and let's set the framework here in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, if you're still there, <clears throat> the fine print here is doctrinally, and I have some old Sunday school teachers that taught me better, so I know they would, uh, I would be remiss to not fully reveal here what's going on in the scripture, <clears throat> be honest with the scripture. This account is a part of Jesus' mission to the king, for the kingdom of heaven to the children of Israel. This is not a gospel message doctrinally to you and I. This is not something that Jesus is expressly speaking to the church. However, <clears throat> the Bible says that all scripture is given, is given unto us, and it's, 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 it's given, for, uh, it's given for the, by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And this is good instruction for us as believers. If you're saved here today, there are some things, there are some really good truths that we can get out of Bartimaeus and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that it's very, very, very similar to what we go through today as Christians. If you received that gospel call, if you got saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, you encountered him on whatever road you were going to, that is very similar to what Bartimaeus encountered. Again, Isaiah 35, verse 5, Isaiah 61, verse 1, it all talks about Jesus Christ coming to deliver the kingdom to the Jews and that he would be delivering signs and miracles and healing the blind, binding up the sick, <clears throat> healing the brokenhearted, preaching deliverance to the captives, recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. All things that are good that we could preach devotionally to ourselves, but 
Doctrinally, it is to the children of Israel. It's also not a doctrinal depiction of how one would get saved at this time. Early in this chapter, in verse 17, a man runs into Jesus and asks, what can I do to be saved, have, have eternal life? And what does Jesus say? He just points right back to the law. He just points right back to the law. Go to verse 17. Look at this real quick. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why callest thou me good? There is none good, but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, etc., etc. Why do I go through all that? Why is that so important that we discuss the context of it, what, what this is? Because the Bible says that we are to study and to show ourselves approved unto God. To rightly divide the word of truth. Anyone who comes into this pulpit, you better be sure that you're getting the truth honestly. Not some made up or some message or some thought that's going on in my head and just want to use scripture to manipulate to my purpose. That's not, that's not what's going on up here. All right? And I get passionate about that because I've been, I've been to those camps. I've been to certain services. I've been seeing YouTube videos. You've seen them too. Somebody gets in a pulpit and starts talking about, you know, whatever it is that they're talking about. And it's like, where's the book, book chapter? Where, where, where is that? Where is that? So when we come to the word of God, we take this seriously. We take this seriously. <clears throat> the aforementioned, notwithstanding, God puts this bo- picture in the Bible for our instruction, as we just said. And devotionally, it's one of the best types in the Bible of how God sees mankind and made a way for our souls to receive spiritual sight. If we're going to walk after Jesus, we cannot forget the call that Paul has noted in Ephesians chapter 4. We cannot forget how important, how worthy that call is. So let's talk about that in the, uh, in the passage of Bartimaeus here. Never forget, and I was reminded of this this week, no matter what you do, however, think, however you think you are in this world, or with this, you got your King James Bible under your shoulder, you go to church every Sunday, you, you know, tithe, you do, you know, all the things, you all check the box, check the box. Don't ever forget that without God, if God is on any of those things, you are just a Bartimaeus. You are a blind, broken, beggarly, abased, naked sinner who needs God in all things. Let's talk about his blindness. Bartimaeus was blind. He couldn't see, right? That's the definition of blindness. My eye doctor's in the back of the room there. He can, he can confirm that, I think. Right? We good? Okay, good. All right, you couldn't see. And the Bible says that we were children of darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you turn there with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine onto them. We could not spiritually discern or see anything. We couldn't even see the path to God. That's how blind we were. Do you remember that day when you, were, you, just didn't, you didn't know where God was? Just groping in the darkness, looking for something, feeling for something, chasing things, chasing dreams, chasing creeds and philosophies with nothing, empty-handed. That's what we were, Bartimaeus. You know, blind folks are easily manipulated. They can't see what's in front of them. I'm sure Bartimaeus was manipulated, abused. He's just sitting here by the wayside. Who could he trust? 
he's, he, he's, he, he can't see anything, right? We live in this society, this culture where if I can't see it, man, you know, trust but validate, right? Like, we, we, we can't trust it. We got to see it, right? Everything that comes through, we got to be able, oh, where's the source? Where's this? Where's that? Bartimaeus couldn't see any of that. So I would, I would imagine he probably had a hard time trusting. You know, the most dangerous thing about being a blind person is not knowing that you're blind. <laughs> if you think you're, you know something, or you're, you're just, but you're really, you're blind, right? Because we have to see this way God sees it. God sees this as you are blind. Without me, you have no idea if you're coming or going. You might think otherwise, but the truth of the matter is, you can't even tell what color th- this is. You can't tell what I'm doing here. What you, you can't discern any of that because you're blind. <clears throat> and in this world, you know what makes this world kind of crazy and a little dangerous? You got blind people who don't know whether they're coming or going, calling the shots, and they're just being manipulated by the God of this world. Amen. You want to see why, why it's so crazy out there? Why up is down, down is up? Right is wrong, wrong is right. That's why you got a bunch of blind people that don't know that they're blind. I see Bartimaeus was broken. He had no strength. In Luke chapter 18, which is an accompanying passage in the Gospels about Bartimaeus, people had to bring him to Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. My brother talked about that. In due time, God is on schedule, and whatever it is you're going through, man, that was a blessing. He was a beggar. The Luke of, uh, account of Luke 18 says also that he was begging by the wayside. It says that here as well in Mark chapter 10. I'm not going to go back there. He was begging by the wayside. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7, it says, we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I don't care what you got in your bank account. You know, I work with uh, some very successful people, very successful people. And part of my line of work is to partner with them, and, and they're mostly physicians, and, uh, and we're partnered with them. And so we want to make sure that the business does well, and we both will do well if, we, if the business does well. And some accounts are, you know, in the millions, some accounts are maybe in the hundreds of thousands, you know, it varies. Everyone's success is a little bit different, right? But, you know, the one thing that each of these businesses need, <clears throat> they need a succession plan. They need a succession plan. What is the succession plan? Well, if that person, if that partner is no longer there to manage the day-to-day of that business, well, what are they going to do? They got to have somebody step up. Someone else has to come up behind them. Someone else has to take on the reins. It has to be ready. It has to be trained. There's an investment that goes with that. And you know, that's the best that this world can do because they can't tell what's going on tomorrow. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. No, it's not what a day may bring forth. Your life is but a vapor. Man, I don't care what you got in your account. You are a beggar. You are a poor beggar. You are not taking whatever it is that you think you have that's of value to God. God who has the cattle on a thousand hills. Man, you got nothing. You're a beggar. And spiritually, we were beggars as Gentiles. You go back to Ephesians in chapter 3. I just want to try to draw attention to how worthy this calling is. In chapter 3, in verse, let's read verses 1, and we'll 
through seven here. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by the revelation he made known unto me, me the mystery, as I wrote afore in the few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. As a Gentile, we have no business approaching God. The Jews feared approaching God. The Gentiles, think of Jesus when he talked to that Syrophoenician woman. Compared, he, Jesus compared the, the Gentiles to just the dogs that eat the scraps. They're not worthy of, of the children's table. That's what we were. We were outsiders. We weren't on this. Salvation is of the Jews, the Bible says. We weren't in on this. We're beggars. <clears throat> the next thing I see here, Mark chapter 10, is Bartimaeus was below his station, below his calling, abased. His name meant honorable son. An ironic name for a poor, blind, broken man sitting by the wayside. Man was created with a purpose. Revelation 4, verse 11, the end of that verse says, Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were, they are, and were created. We were created in the image of God. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, We were created in the image of God, but in the in the because of that fall, we are now in the image of Adam. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22, turn with me there. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Thank God for that last part. So far this has all been a very much of a downer message, right? I mean, you, 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 we're nothing without God. But you know what? We need to start there and realize that. Every day when we come to this book, we want to live and walk after God. We got to start taking some lessons from Bartimaeus. The truth of how God sees things for what they are. Next thing I see there in Mark chapter 10 is Bartimaeus, he was naked. And spiritually, we had nothing that can cover the sin that we had on us. Nothing. Adam and Eve tried to cover it up with fig leaves. God said that wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. You might try to cover it up with good works, go to church every day. I don't care if you've been to church every day since you've been a, you know, I've been going to church since I was in the nursery. I, I mean, I, I don't even know how, how long. I mean, I guess as long as I've been alive, right? That doesn't mean you're saved. That doesn't mean you're saved. You could be sitting here and know the Bible verses and know what to say, when to say it. But man, if there was never a time in your life that you took the righteous robes of Jesus Christ and you accepted those as the full blood atonement for your sins, as my, my, my friend and brother Chris Fiola would say, you're shot. You're shot. <laughs> Next thing I see there, he's a sinner in need of God's mercy. And he notices cry in verse 47. It says, and say, Jesus, thou son of God, David, have mercy on me. And he cried the more a great deal in verse 48. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He was a sinner. Revelation 21 verse 8 would say, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable, and there's a whole list there, it says, shall have their part in the lake, of, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
That's where your sin will take you. James will say, it just says there that for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. We've been through it. You ever lie? You ever take something that wasn't yours? And you ever covet after something that wasn't yours? We're all guilty. We're all sinners. Make no mistake, if you are without God and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are blind, broken, begging, disappointing sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's who we were. Next thing I see here, another person that I see in this passage is the multitude, a picture of the world. And this world, just like it states here, is designed to keep you away from the things of God. Look there in verse, uh, <clears throat> in verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Tell him, shh, stop. That's not you. Stop. I don't want to talk to you. Just go ahead. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just sit there. Go ahead. He's got nothing for you. That's what this world does every day. I'm saved by the grace of God. And every day, this world, man, it just knows how to get you, where to get you. I, I was telling Kim earlier this week, I mean, someone knew that I was, I was preaching this Sunday. I tell you what, I mean, this world will just do everything it can to take you away from the things of God. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, that is of the world. <clears throat> it's designed to keep us preoccupied and busy with all these little shiny things, sound bites, headlines, news stories. You know, it's like one week you're hearing about, you know, and who's getting indicted. The next week you're hearing about UFOs. I mean, you, it's, it's every, every week there's something new. There's something going on to get your attention. Just get your attention. Ephesians 2, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, We're in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Man, if you don't recognize that the multitude, this world, if there's a spirit just controlling all these blind people that don't know what's up and down, man, this doesn't make sense. It's too, it's too organized. It's too, it's too pointed against one thing, God. God. <clears throat> the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, the rest of that verse says. I'm reminded of I think it was Isaac Watts who said, in, uh, am I a soldier of the cross? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? That's a rhetorical question. It is not. I was reading an article the other day, and uh, in this article, I'm not going to quote the news source because you probably just throw things at me. 45 million people over the last 25 years have stopped going to church. And the reason is because we're just so spread thin socially. We don't have time. We don't have time for God. And, you know, the phenomenon of consumerism, always being bigger and better, you know, you got to get the better job, you got to make the more money. I mean, it's just, you're just constantly, there's no stop. You're constantly stimulated. I mean, you're just, there's no getting out of it. You're just a hamster in this wheel. Every day, every day, you got the same thing, pressuring you, pressuring you. That's what this world is. And if you step out of bed every morning, you don't realize that that's the truth, you're already, you're already, you're already done. Just write the day off. You're done. Spiritually, that, that day is a waste. But those are the downers. Because the next thing I see here in this account of Bartimaeus is Jesus. The son of David. The son of the living God. 
Let's go to John chapter one. Get get excited about our Savior, about this calling that we don't deserve at all. Just check that at the door. None of this. We don't deserve any of this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh, that same word in John 1.1, and dwelt among us. Bartimaeus saw him on that road. He didn't see him right away, but he heard him. We'll get there. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. For all you JWs in the room, there's none, but just for the ones that are hearing. He's the Everlasting Father. The prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Walking on a dirt road from Jericho. And at that time, walking on that dirt road from Jericho, his mission was to go to Jerusalem, to go be beaten and scourged and to be nailed to a cross for you and I. That same wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Man, I don't know. I get upset when I'm on the way to somewhere, on the way to work, on the way to some dinner reservation, and something gets in my way, traffic, you know? Like, I can't be bothered for any of it. You know, that's just, we live in a New York minute. But Jesus, knowing all these things, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's on his way to become sin who knew no sin. Perfect, holy, the Son of God. To become sin? Your sin. My sin. The sin of the world. Wow. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, if that doesn't get you excited about who Jesus Christ is, I don't know what else to tell you. I've got nothing else. I've got nothing else. I can sit up here and like, have my pastor says, I got light myself on fire. It's not going to mean anything. Man, that's, that's, a worthy, that's a worthy calling. Despite the multitude, but despite the mission, despite being the almighty God, manifest in the flesh. In verse 49, turn with me there. I often turn with you there. that same Jesus it says and Jesus stood still Jesus stood still for one thing the cry of a sinner asking to be made whole Barnabas Barnabas recognizes him as the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you remember the day when you called and recognized that only Jesus 
could deliver you out of this darkness that you had been in all your life. The, the, the time that you called and heard, it says by faith, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Bartimaeus couldn't see, but he heard something. He heard something, something commotion. He heard somehow that Jesus was coming through. He heard who Jesus was somehow. Just like we somehow, whatever that is, plug your story in. When you heard for the first time that Jesus Christ died for your sin and rose from the dead so that you can be made whole. You know, we forget the heavenly perspective. You know, we may not have seen the physical Lord Jesus Christ. If you say that you have, you may have had some bad pizza and just went to sleep too late and watch out for that stuff. I'm not trying to get spooky here. But in the midst of God's throne room right now, as we stand right now, the host of heaven is worshiping the creator of the universe. Seraphims, cherubims, angels, those 24 elders, they're all singing one thing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the heavenly perspective. You know, the Rome, you know, if you look at history, the fall of Rome was a pretty big, pretty big deal. You know, everyone kind of like draws that as a turning point in civilization. And you know what was going on in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The bubonic plague was a pretty big deal on earth. A lot of people died. Almost half, I think, at least half of Europe was just totally wiped out. You know, you know what's going on in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Trump got into office. You know what happened? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Guess what? Biden got into office. You know what's going on in heaven? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. But you know what gets God's attention? One sinner that repents and puts his faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That gets him excited. And you know what? He looks at that sinner and he's, he, I, I, can't, I can't imagine. He's just, he says, guys, listen. You hear that? You hear what I'm hearing? And it says in the, in the scripture, it says that the, the, the heavenly hosts up there, they just marvel. Like, what's going on? They're like, what? what you're saving these people? Like, what? They're like ants. I mean, you know, what, what's going on here? But God says, no, no, no. Listen, that's another sinner that's calling out to be redeemed. You know, the sinner that's saved, that's been, that's been calling on my son's name for salvation. And you know what he does? He looks at his son. And he's satisfied, Isaiah chapter 53 says. He is satisfied with the sacrifice. That lamb who taketh away the sins of the world. And paid for that sinner's way. And Revelation chapter 5 says, Saying with a loud voice, that host. And it says it's a new song. And I don't know if it's new then or new now I don't know what what time we're looking at there this is worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing man we got to get it from the heavenly perspective how important it is that insignificant blind beggarly broken blind man Bartimaeus 
how important that was to the Lord. I don't esteem that calling enough. I don't know that I ever can. But it's a calling that we need to esteem. We need to walk worthy of that calling. It's the highest calling that you could possibly ever have. To answer the gospel call. And it's not even you. It's Jesus Christ who did all the work. That's the highest calling, brethren. We need to get excited about that. Because it defines and dictates everything else, or at least it should, that we have on this earth. How we see things, man, we got to see it the way the Lord sees it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about the calling. It's a worthy calling. You know that to walk with God, going back to what Jesus said to Bartimaeus, after all that, that calling that Bartimaeus received, he said, go thy way, go thy way. And that's the choice that we're faced today and every day as Christians, as believers. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a privilege. It's a, it's a right if you're a son of God, but it's a privilege in most of the Bible to even walk with God. You know, it's a privilege Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, it says that the voice of the Lord walked in the garden. I mean, you go through the Old Testament, you couldn't even approach God. You couldn't even get close to him. We're called to walk worthy, to walk with him, to walk in him. I mean, if the calling's not enough, I mean, think about the perspective there. Walking after Christ will be maybe one of the most difficult things you'll do as a Christian. There's going to be challenges. My brother talked about that last week. This world's going to harass you and weigh you down as we've already spoken about. That old man, the flesh, will fight you every single day. But never forget you're not walking alone. Even when loved ones fail you, this church disappoints you, closest, closest family members just totally just throw, a, throw a, just a, a total wrench in the whole thing, the circumstances of your life just don't line up with what you expected you know, you just feel like you're just below whatever you thought you were going to be. God gives us his spirit, the comforter, and is able to lead you just as he called you out of darkness and into light. And uh, I think I had you in Ephesians 4. Just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. <clears throat> you there? Say amen. All right. And uh, we'll go to verse, uh, verse 9. But as it is written, I have, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God not, knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Barnabas, the natural man, doesn't receive anything of the things of God. You can't. 
But now you're saved. If you've been born again, blood washed by the Lamb of God, man, you have the Spirit of God living within you. You can be freely, those things that are given to us of God, you can now know those things through the truth and the light of God's word. If you're going to walk at all, you're going to need the Lord's Spirit, the God's, God's Spirit, the Spirit of God, and you need faith. <clears throat> you need to be, have some faith in what God said. <clears throat> it's impossible without it, which is why it's impossible that if you think you're, you know, you're on your way to heaven and never trusted Jesus Christ, you're, you're never going to have success in the Christian walk because you don't have that Spirit of God. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Actually, in verse 5, now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is of God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. The Spirit and faith go hand in hand. The Spirit and faith go hand in hand. And, uh, you know, faith is like the spiritual glasses whereby we can actually perceive things for the way that they are. I mean, without faith, you come to this book, you're not going to, you're just going to be questioning and doubting. The way you come to this book, man, is the way you're going to leave this book. You come to this book with doubt and just not believing and just critically just looking through this thing, man, you're going to walk away so screwed up and confused that the latter is going to be worse than the former. That's just how it works. <clears throat> now, if I decided, again, my eye doctor's here, my, if I decided, Doc, if I decided to just take my glasses off one day and just get in the car and drive my way to, to, to work, that wouldn't go too well, right? No, that wouldn't go too well, no. I'm a plus or minus, whatever, I don't know what I am. But if I took my glasses off, I could barely make out of this room. There's just no way. That's the same thing if you're, if, you're son, if you're a son of God. I mean, this is how important. Try to illustrate that if you don't have your spiritual glasses on, you are not going to walk this life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're just not. It's not possible. We walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, Hebrews, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You skip down. Verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And you go through this whole chapter and all the things, all, the, all the, uh, the people that walked by faith, not having a promise that we're given, but walking by faith, seeing that promise afar off, the Bible says. In verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. I mean, you know, there's some things maybe you're going through in this life. You might not have 
any assurance of tomorrow and this physical planet, Earth, right? But, you know, by the grace of God, you can see some things afar off if you just put those glasses of faith on, like those Old Testament saints had. They didn't have the risen Savior. They didn't have a complete Bible. They just had faith in God. God showed them certain things, and you know what? God was satisfied to show them those, those little things, and you know what? They had the faith enough to just believe and trust them, take them at his word. Would we have that faith? That's how we're to walk worthy. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Talk more about how this walk, the nature of this walk, Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, I see the, the character of our walk, how that should be. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech that you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord is our example, our end sample, the Bible would say. If you go to Philippians chapter 2, you want to walk worthy of the vocation we just spoke about. We need to follow Christ as our example and the character of that walk. Ephesians chapter 2. If there be, therefore, verse 1, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, look not every man unto his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Fought it, not robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the mind of Christ. That's the character of our walk. Jesus Christ, who we spoke about, the Son of God, the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor, if it's anyone that can walk around and say, I can do whatever I want, if it's, if it's anyone who could just kind of just do his own thing, I don't care what's going on here, it would be Jesus Christ. He's perfect. He doesn't need anything from us. He's got everything. But yet he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. We are to be servants in service of our Lord on this walk. And the servant is not greater than his master. The next time that I think that I got something to share from the word of God, or you think you have something to share from the word of God, just remember that you are just a beggar who just found a piece of bread, as my father would always say. Lowliness, meekness, forbearing one another in love. 
I'm reminded of that verse, I think it's in uh, Colossians chapter 3, turn with me there, in verse 13, it says, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. In verse 14, it says, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. I mean, it's not my message, but you know what? If you ever have a problem with a relationship that you're in, it's usually because of that verse, verse 14. You're not putting charity above all things. The Bible says that's the bond of perfectness, putting someone else before yourself. <clears throat> that's what we're called to do for each other, have charity. Romans 6, verse 4 you might be sitting in your pew there, be feeling uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable this week looking through this because I don't live up to this character like I ought to. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Therefore, we are buried with him, verse 4, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I mean, something that's new. You get a new job or you you get a new house. Like Things are uncomfortable the first few days or first few months or maybe the first few years. You know, you have to kind of find your way, find your group, new school, you know, new environment. By the grace of God, a new building. You find yourself uncomfortable, right? Because it's something that's new. It's different. You know, it's okay to be uncomfortable in the walk that you're walking. Because it's not supposed to be like anything that you ever experienced before in this world. It's supposed to be walking in newness of life. Newness of life. These things are not spiritually discerned, uh, uh, naturally received, I should say. They're not naturally accepted. They're spiritually discerned. It requires faith. I mean, it requires some trust. Trusting God. And also that charity, you've got to trust, trust the believers. You've got to be vulnerable a little bit. Let's go to, uh, <clears throat> let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 1. So I fumbled my notes here. Colossians chapter 1. Start landing the plane. That phrase there, walk worthy, is mentioned three times in the King James Bible. And uh, the second time it's mentioned here is Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. <clears throat> that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. <clears throat> and uh, what I see there is in your walk, there's a, there's a character that you should exhibit as a son of God if you're going to walk worthy. But there should be also some fruit in that walk. There should be some service in that walk. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We have to see this as we're, we're servants in the Lord's army, as we tell our, our little kids, right? You know, you're, now you're in the Lord's army, right? Now, yes, sir. 
That's where we are. We got to serve the risen God. That's what we have the privilege to do every single day. We have a privilege to sacrifice those things. You know, if you're ever going to have a productive and fruitful work, a walk, you're going to have to sacrifice some things. You're going to have to let go of some things that might be holding you back. If you go to John chapter 15, I just turned right there. Wow, look at that. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. The Lord is looking for some fruit. He wants some fruit of that work. That, that walk. I keep on saying work, it's that walk, but it's also a work. You know, we're supposed to be busy for God. You know, before salvation, or I could find, even I'm saved and I could still find some things to get busy about, whether it's work or a ball game or go, just go anywhere. Put, put the TV on, I mean, be a couch potato, whatever it is, you can find yourself being busy about something in this world. But you never you ever thought about maybe just being busy for God? Just getting busy for God, being about our Father's business as Jesus Christ is our example and was about his Father's business. Amen. In Proverbs chapter 31, uh, talking about the virtuous woman there, and uh, usually when, oh, well, virtuous woman, that's something we save for Mother's Day and, you know, we talk about, and we should, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Proverbs chapter 31. <clears throat> verse 27 it says of that virtuous woman, she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. You know, we're the bride of Christ. We should exhibit the traits that are mentioned in Proverbs chapter 31. And one of those traits is not sit around and eat the bread of idleness. Don't be idle. Get busy for God. He's worthy. The calling is worthy. He is worthy. Don't throw this, this whole walk and this whole life away. Go thy way. Choose where you're going to go. But if you're going to do it, walk worthily of the Lord. You know, uh, someone asked, uh, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, I think it was David Livingston, the conversation was between. David Livingston, the legendary missionary to the Congo, once asked Charles Spurgeon, how was he able to maintain such a busy schedule? You know, Charles Spurgeon had a very strict set schedule that he would set every week. And the reply that Charles Spurgeon gave was, there are two of us. In Colossians 1 verse 11, go back there. It's through his strength that we're able to accomplish any of it. It's his strength. He saves you, he keeps you by his faith, but it's his strength that sustains you, that good shepherd that sustains us. It says, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Strengthened with all of his might. It's his glory. It's his power. And uh, the last thing here in First Thessalonians 2, verse 11, the last time that this phrase shows up, walking worthy. <clears throat> it says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom in glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when we received the word of God which ye have heard of us ye received not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
You know, <clears throat> there's an inheritance in that verse there, in verse 12. Who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Called you unto his kingdom and glory. And you know what? The reason why we should work, work, walk worthy, it's the calling. We should follow the character. We should be fruitful as Jesus Christ was fruitful. But there is an accounting that we're going to have to give there is something that we're going to have to answer to with what God has given us. That's why we also walk worthy. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. In the preceding verses we just read before, we'll start that again. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And uh, that, that kind of terrifies me. We're all going to have to give an accounting of what Jesus gave to you. What did Jesus give you? He gave you his word. He gave you his promises. May we be like those Thessalonians there. In verse 13 it says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. This is the word of God. This is the Word of God. Like we said before, when you approach this Bible, don't approach it with any doubting, any fear. Just approach it as the Word of God. Amen. And you'll be okay. The, the prevailing thought out there is that we don't really have the words of God today. That they're in the originals. You really can't know what really what the Word of God is. You know, we have a lot of philosophers, theologians that tell us and make comments and have commentaries and tell us what they think the Word of God is. And we're supposed to kind of take that at face value. And, but you know what it says there about the Thessalonians, what Paul was commending them for? Because he received the Word of God, which he heard of us, these apostles, their letters, we have them. He received them not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth. You know, God used men to write the, the Bible, to write the words of God, write his words. But you know what? He also used men to keep his words, to preserve his words. Did anyone ever ask God when they were talking in the theological, you know, I don't know, room or seminary or cemetery, as my father-in-law says, uh, were, they, were, they, were they ever asked God, like, hey, God, you know, you saved us. You're keeping us. You wrote, you put together, you know, you had somebody write the Bible 2,000, 4,000 years ago. But, I don't know, this is really, isn't really the word of God. Anyone ask God, like, you know, is this still the word of God? Anyone ever ask God, like, what did you do with, what did you do with the words of God? Why don't we have them? If that's the thought, if that's the, if that's the, the prevailing thought of the day. Did anyone ever ask that question? Anyone ask God, where, where's his words? And It's simple. God is just asking for people to take him at his word. The first thing that God attacked in the garden was God's word. Not Adam or Eve, but the word of God. Yea, hath God said. 
The same God who magnified his word above all his name, in Psalms 138 too, who said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And said, every word of God is pure, in Proverbs 30, verse 5. And said, thy word is forever settled in heaven, Psalms 119, verse 89. And Psalms 12, 6 and 7. I'm going to go there and read it. It's going to be really hard to find, a, find your walk if you can't trust what God has given you. How are you going to walk worthy if you can't trust that these are the living words of the living God? The words of the Lord are pure words, silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Amen goes right there. There's an inheritance to gain. And you're not going to know how you're going to walk if you can't trust God's word. It was Jim Elliott who said, I don't fear the Bible verses I read and don't understand. I fear the verses I read and understand, but do nothing about them. There's going to be an accounting of what we did with what God gave us. And I don't want to fall short of being faithful to his word. And finally, in closing, we talked a lot about that statement, Jesus saying, go thy way to Bartimaeus. Go thy way. It's a choice. And there's a consequence for not walking worthy of the Lord. You know, Bartimaeus could have just decided to sit by the wayside, not go and follow Jesus Christ, but he did. He, he got up and he followed the Lord. That was his choice. Well, you Calvinists in the room, there was a choice. You need to make that choice right. Not having a choice just kind of I don't know, it just kind of takes, it takes a lot of pressure off you, doesn't it? But anyway, but there's a choice. You have to make that decision. There's an accounting for that decision. <clears throat> we can't be sure of where Bartimaeus's, Bartimaeus's uh, walk ended. But if you're saved here today and you're falling behind in your walk, maybe you just strayed, maybe you rebelliously just said, you put a, you know, your flag in the stand and said, I'm just walking away. <clears throat> you only need to look at the church of Laodicea to understand the path of any any other way will take. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Thank you for your kind attention. We're closing, landing the plane here. If you want to end up like this, which I, I hope is not your prayer, just go any other way than Jesus Christ. In verse 15, Let's go to 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, Save people. It's the church. It's God's people. These things saith the amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. That's sometimes how I can perceive myself. I think that's sometimes how we all perceive ourselves. We got it going on. It's all good. Got some money in the bank. Got a nice place to live. Got a car that takes me to and fro. Got a job. Got a family that loves you. You could all fall into that pit. Just put your name right there. And it says, 
And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Does that sound familiar? Your, your, your end is just like Bartimaeus. Spiritually. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven by the grace of God. You know, it's his faith that keeps you. But you got nothing to show for it at the judgment seat. Nothing to show for it. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And if that's anyone in here, I would turn you to verse 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, God's words, and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. You can never get too far from God. You can never get too far off that path for God to bring you back into the fold. You know, you might have shame here, but you know what? Just like the prodigal son, like that father who's sitting on the edge of that field waiting for his son to come back. You can come and be restored. You can come and be restored, and God will use you. God will take you under the shadow of his wing. He'll bind up those wounds. And in verse 18, he says that, uh, that, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants to heal you. He wants to take you. There's a song <clears throat> that we used to sing, I think, at camp years ago. It's where I heard it. And actually, I didn't plan this with my brother, but it was, uh, it was written by that same writer there, Oatman. And it's, uh, it's called Hand in Hand with Jesus. And the song goes like this. Once for my poor sin-sick soul, Christ did every burden roll. Now I walk redeemed and whole, hand in hand with Jesus. In my night of dark despair, Jesus heard and answered prayer. Now I'm walking free as air, hand in hand with Jesus. From the straight and narrow way, praise the Lord, I cannot stray. For I'm walking every day, hand in hand with Jesus. And when the stars are backward rolled, and his home I shall behold, I will walk those streets of gold, hand in hand with Jesus. Hand in hand we walk each day, hand in hand along the way. Walking thus, I cannot stray, hand in hand with Jesus. And uh, I think it's going out from here just... My prayer is that we could walk out walking worthy of that calling, walking hand in hand following our Savior each day. And in the end, you can stand before God unashamed and clothed in the inheritance of his glory. Amen. 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 Pastor? All right, we'll close it out here.